Hello to our Wilshire members, our friends, and our neighbors joining us for online worship today. We pray that your week is off to a great start and that wherever you are, you are safe and you are well. Now, our elders are praying and planning for us to be together soon. And we want to do that in a safe and responsible way. So watch your email, check Facebook, and we'll send out details as we get closer to June 7th. Given all that's happening around us, Jim and I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to talk about those stories of God's deliverance and to remind ourselves that we serve a God who delivers his people. You may have noticed in reading your Bible that most stories end with God rescuing his people in one way or another. Joseph was rescued from his brothers. Israel was rescued from Egypt. David was rescued from Goliath. God's people need to be rescued from the pain and suffering brought about by other people. But you know as well as I do, God's people are also in need of rescue from the pain we cause in our own lives sometimes. One of the most devastating moments in the story of the Old Testament is the Babylonian exile. And the sad part is, it didn't have to happen. For years, God sent prophet after prophet calling his people back to him. And when you read those prophets, you're in God's anger was caused by two things primarily. One, it was the mistreatment of others. The poor, the widows, orphans, and foreigners. God's people are supposed to be known for justice and mercy. But as you read Jeremiah and Amos and other prophets, you quickly learn that wasn't the case. God's anger was also brought about by their idolatry not just in the form of worshiping supposed other gods, but in treating God as if he somehow could be manipulated, as if showing up at the right place and worshiping in the right way meant God was indebted to you and would overlook the things you did outside of worship. It doesn't work that way. God is not like those other gods. He will not, he cannot be manipulated. So when the people refuse to return to God, he used the nation of Babylon to carry out his judgment. It's a sad and painful story that unfolds in 2 Kings 25. Jerusalem was surrounded, the people starved, and their king was captured and tortured. They burned the Lord's temple. They captured and killed prominent leaders. The promised land became a wasteland. Babylonian exile was a crisis in every aspect of life. Religiously, the temple was destroyed, and it looked like Israel's God lost a fight with a Babylonian God, even on his home turf in Jerusalem. Culturally, everything they knew was now gone, their government, their economy, their way of life. And in their personal life, everything was lost. Family and friends killed, captured, carried off, houses destroyed. And if you happen to be one of the exiles, you were taken a thousand miles away from your home to a foreign land where nothing was familiar, not the language, the religion, or the traditions. It was devastating in every conceivable way. What you and I are experiencing now doesn't quite reach that level of devastation, at least not for most of us. But in many ways we can relate. This virus has taken the lives of family and friends. We feel like we're captives in our own home. Our way of life has been upended and our economy is hanging by a thread. 
But remember, we serve a God who delivers. It's during this time in Jewish history that some of the most well-known Old Testament scriptures are written, and their messages are worth hearing today. For instance, looking over Jerusalem, the city of God, surveying the devastation and suffering, Jeremiah wrote these words in Lamentation 3.22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know if it happened this way or not, but I always imagine Jeremiah sitting on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem, watching the sun rise as the smoke rose also, and then writing, they are new every morning. Jeremiah could see that even during deep pain and despair, God is present and he is still at work. He remains faithful. That's not always easy to see or even understand. Our tendency is to focus on what is broken and everything that's going wrong around us. But take a moment and look around you right now. We're still here. Your heart still beats. Everything good that I have today was given to me by the mercy and grace of a faithful God who is under no obligation to give me anything. And even if he took it all away, he has promised something greater. Now, Jeremiah wrote another famous section of scripture during this same time period. I bet you've even seen it, these words in the last few days and weeks. They are, after all, the go-to text for graduation gift cards. Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah wrote those words to the captives in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. God's ultimate plan has always been for blessing and not harm. Exile was never God's intention. And this virus and lockdown are not God's ultimate plan for us either. If you want to see God's ultimate plan for you, for me, for all of creation, just look at the empty tomb. In this context, Jeremiah's words are interesting. You see, there were people saying, all of this is going to end soon, and then God will deliver us. We'll go back to homes, and everything will be okay. They were false prophets offering false hope. They didn't realize that this was God's judgment for their sin. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah also says, Look, get comfortable, build houses, plant gardens, get married. You're going to be here a while. In fact, Jeremiah says 70 years will pass before God fulfills his promises. It was an important lesson for them to hear, and it's an important lesson for us. God will deliver in his time. I don't know how long all of this will last for us, but I do know this one thing. God will act when he chooses best. In the meantime, Jeremiah told the captives something else that I find interesting. He says, seek the welfare of the city to where I've sent you into exile and pray to the, <clears throat> pray to the Lord on its behalf. Even as we await God's deliverance for us, 
We're called to be a blessing to other people. Daniel was someone who lived roughly around this time. He read Jeremiah's words, even quotes Jeremiah at times. And look how he blessed the Babylonians. He interpreted the dreams for the king. He eventually became second in command. God wants his people to be a blessing wherever he sends us. This is one reason we've chosen not to assemble for the last few weeks. It's not because of fear or persecution, but because we do not want to endanger our broader community. And when we do begin meeting together, we want to do that in a way that does not threaten our friends and neighbors. So look around you and you'll see churches doing wonderful things to bless our community. Just down the street, our brothers and sisters at Northeast Church have helped provide free COVID testing. At the Edmond Church and Memorial Church, they've partnered with schools to feed children. There will be other ways for us to bless our city in the days and weeks ahead. That's what God's people do for our neighbors, even while we await our deliverance. God kept his promise to deliver his people, just like Jeremiah said. But in doing so, there's another important lesson. You see, Babylon came to an end, and another nation, Persia, came on the scene. With the change in power also came a change in policy. A king named Cyrus sent a message saying, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any of those among you who are his people, may their God be with them, are now permitted to go up to Jerusalem and Judah and to build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let all survivors in whatever place they reside be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, with goods, with animals, besides free offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. That's recorded in Ezra chapter 1. God's deliverance can come in the most unexpected ways. Not only did they get to return, they were sent with the materials and money to rebuild the temple. Who saw that coming? God works in mysterious ways. Eventually, Nehemiah led the effort to rebuild the walls of the city. Ezra went to help rebuild the temple and the spiritual life of the people. Deliverance comes with responsibilities. And not everyone was up to it. Not everyone went. After all, many of them lived their whole lives outside of Jerusalem. Who wanted to leave their homes and go to a land needing lots of work? But God did keep his promise, and he delivered his people. I'm sure if you reflect on ways God has delivered you in your life, you'll be surprised at some of the ways he did so. Enemies becoming friends, opponents becoming partners. God's often surprising. I don't know how or when our situation will end, but let me warn you, brace yourself, because God just might surprise us all. Now, there's one more text that comes around this time in Jewish history, and that text comes with a warning. Crisis often exposes our weaknesses and causes us to reevaluate our lives. We realize things we took for granted once and we promise not to do so again. We promise to spend more time with family, balance our work lives with everything else. We dedicate ourselves to being more committed once this is all over. But then 
Deliverance comes and we go about our lives slowly forgetting the promises we've made. We've noted before how Bible sales are up. Virtual church attendance has shot through the roof and many people are being more generous and giving. It's wonderful and I pray it continues when all of this passes. But one of the dangers of deliverance is the complacency that often follows. Many of the people did return to the land. Work began on the temple, but soon opposition came and discouragement set in. The foundation of the temple paled in comparison to the old temple. Complacency set in. Eventually, people gave up and returned their focus to their own homes. For 16 years, nothing happened to God's temple. So God sent the prophet Haggai, who asked, Why does my house lie in ruins, yet your houses are completed? Eventually, the work on the temple was finished. But before long, the same issues that took them into exile began to show up again. Faith was not taken seriously. Priests were offering polluted sacrifices. Tithing was in the decline. And injustice was rearing its head again. Oppression of hired workers, widows, orphans, and foreigners. And divorce was on the rise. So God sent the prophet Malachi to address all of these issues. And in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, Malachi reminds them of an important truth. He writes, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Return to me, and I will return to you. Malachi makes it clear that God wants to bless his people but they refuse to accept his blessings. That message of Malachi is important for us to hear. I, the Lord, do not change. Before, during, and after exile, God expected the same thing from his people, justice, mercy, faith. He does not change. I think it's safe to say he expects the same from his church. Until this passes, we must find ways to practice justice, mercy, and faith. And if we are delivered from this, his expectations will be the same, justice, mercy, and faith. Be on guard for complacency. As Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There is great comfort in those words of Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. The God who delivered Joseph from his brothers, Israel from Egypt, David from Goliath, and Judah from captivity is the same God we worship today. He's delivered before, and he will deliver again. I hope that brings you peace today. God bless you. And may we all find ways to bless others this week.